Hey, this is Tim McCurdy, and welcome to Vinepair's Cocktail College, a weekly deep dive into classic cocktails that goes beyond the recipe with America's best bartenders. A daiquiri with benefits. That's how Brian Miller describes the Mai Tai. The benefits in this case being the addition of orange curacao to that spirited trinity of rum, lime, and sugar. It's a catchy way to sum up this cocktail, especially in Miller's voice, and also does a great job of explaining where so many preparations of the Mai Tai go wrong. This cocktail doesn't need fruit puree or juices or any other ingredient that gets added just to jazz up the color. Because when you have someone like Brian making a Mai Tai, it's not just four simple ingredients. We're talking a blend of four very different complex rums, pot still, agricole, overproof. It's all in there. And when Brian says sugar, he really means orgeat or almond-based syrup. Except in this case, he's not just settling for any old orgeat, nor is he using just one. I could go on here, but I'll leave that to Brian and the episode. But if there's one thing you should take away from today's episode, it's that the Mai Tai doesn't need any extras. Because the Mai Tai itself is already about as extra as they come in the realm of classic cocktails. Brian Miller, take it away, Captain. Perfect. Well, I feel like that's why I'm pumped. Yeah, I think we're in a good place now. Okay. Yeah, i got a little bit of wine in me. I'm ready to roll. Awesome. Well, Brian Miller, thank you so much for joining us today, and welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. It's really great to be here with you, and I'm going to start you off with a little teaser for 10 here before we jump into it and ask <laughs> okay. you a question. When is a Mai Tai not a Mai Tai? Well, I feel like there's a punchline coming, so I'm going to let you give it to me. <laughs> when is a Mai Tai not a Mai Tai? When it's on the $1 menu at Applebee's, of course. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's true. That is actually true. I can't remember the last time I've been at an Applebee's, but I'll take your word for it. <laughs> they have a they they have a very popular line of mai tais, and I should say I did not make that one up myself. I, I've I procured that from the fine realm of uh, bartending Reddit. Shout out if anyone's listening here, bartending but uh, <laughs> it exists. But I want to wow. say, for me, that leans into something. There's a famous quote about this drink, and I've forgotten who said it or who wrote it, so I apologize. But the Mai Tai is the most bastardized cocktail of all time. Would you say that that's true? And, and what makes a bona fide Mai Tai for you, simply? I mean, that's that that's a loaded question because there's probably fans of many other drinks out there that have gotten really bad, you know, uh, versions. I, I can, in particular, think of a bad Sazerac that I had. That was pretty much a hate crime. Um, <laughs> but uh, a Mai Tai to me is essentially it is a daiquiri with benefits. Mm-hmm. You know, it's rum, lime, sugar. The sugar is orgeat, and it's got a little bit of uh, orange curacao added to it. Um that's it. You know, you get to play around. You can play around with the orgeat. You can play around with the orange curacao. You can play around with the rum blend and stuff like that. But that's it. It's pretty much rum, lime, and sugar, which, I mean, a lot of tropical drinks, it's like, that's the trifecta, rum, lime, and sugar, you know, and then you get to switch things in and out. Mm-hmm. And in terms of 
the Mai Tai being in that tropical realm, tiki realm, that is also one that has a lot of backstory behind it. And there are some major characters when it comes to the the tale of the Mai Tai. So I was wondering if you could provide us with a foundation here and introduce us to, well, essentially two of those, right? Well, I mean, to be fair, and so you guys don't get a whole lot of backlash on the podcast here, uh, I'm not an expert. I am just a fan. Um, I am more of like, you know, the fan that goes to the sports stadium with their face painted and screams for the entire game. Um, but I just, I, the Mai Tai, you know, is... There was a time when it was argued whether it was Trader Vic or whether it was Don the Beachcomber, Trader Vic being kind of like the fan of Don the Beachcomber, Don the Beachcomber being like, uh, you know, the godfather of tiki or tropical cocktails. Um, but, uh, you know, Don Don kind of started it all, and Vic was a fan, and Vic was kind of known as like his, the code for Vic was he's the rope hanger. He was the guy that like was hanging outside of Don Don's place on McCadden. Uh, place and and wanting to go in and he went in and had essentially what was the QB cooler um, really loved the drink and the QB cooler is a mix of rum and lime and I think it's got honey syrup in it um, and he went back to his place and he was trying to cre- recreate that drink and he was with some friends that were actually from Tahiti uh, as legend goes and he created. He essentially came up with the mai tai, and the people were like, "I think what was the name comes from mai tai no raoi, which simply means the best." Um, and so that became the name of the drink was the mai tai. But essentially, the only the the only things the mai tai and the cubic cooler have in common are rum and lime, and <laughs> that's pretty much it. Um, which is two of that trifecta that you're talking about. Two of the trifecta, and then I think part of the argument. And I can't say for sure, but like Don had another drink called the Mai Tai Swizzle. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think with the Mai Tai Swizzle and with the QB Cooler and with the Mai Tai, you've got three completely different drinks, but somewhere in between all those drinks. It's lies, like a Venn diagram. Lies, yeah. <laughs> if all three of them overlap somewhere in the, mini, in the middle, you have this drink that today is recognized as the, as the Mai Tai. It is... A, I mean, it's it's a fantastic drink. It's a drink that any uh, any bar that's trying to do tropical drinks, you have to have that. If you're opening a tiki bar or a tropical bar or something like that, you've got to have a Mai Tai I, actually on the menu. I mean, I didn't, when I had the Polynesian, uh, which was my bar on 42nd Street, um, I didn't put a Mai Tai on the, on the original menu, and people got really upset. They were like, can you guys make a Mai Tai? And I was like, yeah, I can make a Mai Tai. It's a fucking tiki bar. Of course I can make a Mai Tai. And then <laughs> they were like, well, how come it's not on the menu? I was like, dude, when you go to Death & Company, do you ask if they know how to make a Manhattan? No, you just fucking assume they know how to make it. It's a Manhattan. It's a classic cocktail. Mm-hmm. Like, But you know, that's, that dives in or, or, or delves into something that one of our previous and recent guest was talking about with us, which was about the martini. And I think you could say the same thing that you're saying there about the Manhattan, that ultimately this is one of these drinks that you're going to be judged on, whether it's on your menu or not. But then I guess going into the tropical realm, then maybe it does make a little bit more sense that you would have that kind of stake in the ground saying this is our Mai Tai and, you know, 
it's obvious that you know how to make it, but maybe some people need to be reminded of that. Yeah, it, I mean, when it comes to, sometimes when it comes to menu design, it's like you have to put things on the menu that people actually recognize and that helps pull them in, you know? So especially in the tiki and tropical world, it's like if you have a Mai Tai on the menu, that pulls them in and if they drink your version of it and they like it, then they'll probably be more open to ordering what other creations you have or what are the, what are the classics you have on the menu. Um, it's, you know, it's a welcome mat. Mm-hmm. Um, that's why, you know, originally I, uh, in the beginning, I put a pina colada on my menu. Just, it, it's not a necessarily considered a tiki drink. It's a tropical drink. It's from Puerto Rico, but um, it's a drink that people recognize. You know, it's, it's when you're doing things like creating a menu like that, it's not about ego. It's like, oh, you don't really know? It's like, dude, just give them a fucking Mai Tai, a mai tai or give them a pina colada. If that's what they recognize, just make the best one you possibly can. And I want to hear about your Mai Tai, and we're going to get into that. <laughs> but before we do, let's break the ingredients kind of in general down bit by bit. Okay. Um List them for us again, and then let's start with the the rum. Uh, well, yeah, you start with rum. Um, then you have lime juice. Um, then it's orgeat. Uh, sometimes I think the original recipe had rock candy in it, um, you know, which is another type of sweetener. Um, and orange curacao uh, shake, dump into a glass, top with crushed ice, uh, mint sprigs, and anything else you feel like throwing on top of it there we go um so dial into that let's dial into that rum first what are our considerations here what should be front of mind when we're looking at this base spirit they i think like bums you know jeff beach bumberry who is you know the indiana jones of tiki culture um has several books out there basically none of us would know anything about tiki if it wasn't for beach bumberry to be honest um you know, and from there, the super nerds jump into Trader Vic, Don the Beachcomber, Stephen Crane, yada, yada, yada. Um, but the the rum blend originally, I think, in Bum's book was uh, an ounce of Jamaican and an ounce of Martinique um, rum. You know, something like uh, Martinique rum being sugarcane uh, juice rum. Um and that, uh, which is very different from molasses-based rum, uh, it's almost like the, the peated scotch of rum. Like, it's kind of an acquired taste, and not everybody likes it. Um, but through the years, um, going to parties, talking with people, uh, you know, it's... I, I, I've done the whole Don the Beachcomber thing, which is what one rum can't do, three rums can, and you start to blend things and try to create these blends. Because originally, I think it was uh, a 27-year-old Ray and nephew, um, and the only place on earth that I recall that actually had a bottle was the Merchant, um, the Merchant Bar. I think that's in Ireland. Um, Belfast, maybe? Belfast, yeah, I think. Um of mine hayden uh used to work 27 year old ray and nephew that's typically an unaged rum is it not or or, or are they both very well i mean from what we know Mm -hmm. you know because ray and nephew now is like 125 uh fireproof Mm -hmm. uh, so this blend of rums is three rums and and you're talking about incredibly complex ingredients on their own you talk about rum agricole there being you know like the peated 
whiskey of rum, but then you also have pot still rum on the other hand, which itself has this incredible character. But do these things, are they not at odds? No, they, I mean, they work really well together, to be honest. I've made, you know, like my own, how you know, my Mai Tai blend, and there have definitely been nights where I've sat down with friends at the end of a shift and just put that bottle on a table, and we just sit there and drink that all night long and tell lies. Um, <laughs> so, uh, you know, it's, they definitely work together. It's like just through time and playing with different uh, rums and having different exposure to things. I mean, mine, my Mai Tai has definitely evolved over the years to the point now where I think I'm pretty okay with what I have now. And I think I make, you know, certainly, you know, a palatable Mai Tai that I think most people would like. So I use rums. I, I, I take the, you know, initial, um, recipe of like a Jamaican rum and a Martinique rum and kind of divvy it up, uh, so to speak. Um, I blend with uh, the Jamaicans. Now I use, um, a half ounce of the plantation 2005 vintage, which I really like. Um, I was using the two t- 2002, of course, that ran out, and mm-hmm. then we have the 2005. But honestly, the 2005 is better than the 2002. I'm a big fan, of, a big fan of that as well. Yeah, like Alexander is doing great things at Plantation, and then uh, then Hampton comes into the equation, and it's like, wow, great. Uh, so I use a half ounce of the Hampton uh, 86 proof, and then for the Martinique. Um, I'm a big La Favorite and Nissan fan, uh, thanks to Ed Hamilton, the Minister of Rum. Um, and uh, I use the Nissan 525, the 105 proof. Um, I have played around with the 130 proof, which I like, but my friends were like, you're going to kill people with this. <laughs> so I go down to the 105 instead of the 130. That's very um, nice of you. Uh, you know, I... I, I, I I try, I'm a people pleaser. (laughs) Um, And then uh, the interesting part, and this is where things change a little bit, is when I I, I used to go to, uh, I still do, uh, go to Christmas parties with Adam Kolasar, who is the owner of uh, Orjot Works Orjot, which is my favorite Orjot. I always use that. Um, But Adam used to, we used to love to play with things. You know, we'd make zombies shaking them and using them in a, in a, um, a Hamilton Beach blender. And Adam talked about there was a woodiness that uh, you got that he recalled came from the 27-year-old brain nephew. I don't know how the fuck he came to that conclusion. but Because <laughs> if he had the 27-year-old rum, I was like, why the fuck weren't you sharing this with me? Um <laughs> But uh, he talked about a woodiness from it. And so we started making Mai Tais with uh, El Dorado. And I used the 15-year uh, in mine. It just has a great mouthfeel and, and has that woodiness to it. And so it's a blend of those four rums. And honestly, like I said before, it's like I've gotten pretty stinking drunk just sitting with friends talking uh, talking over just that bottle of Mai Tai, um, my Mai Tai blend. So... Um, and I feel what three rums can't do, four certainly can. Yeah, you know, Tiki Mondays, we used to say what two ounces of rum can do, eight ounces can do better. Um, you know, so uh, we don't, you know, we don't overload the Mai Tai, but, um, you know, using that blend, I think really works 
Um, you know, when I first started making tiki drinks, uh, you know, obviously you don't have uh, anything to really judge yourself against because a lot of these rums are extinct and we don't exactly know what they tasted like. But like the first time I went to Smuggler's Cove and I had a zombie uh, at Martin Kate's place, um, I was like, cool. I'm on, I'm on the same page. I was like, all right, my, my, mine was like similar to Martin's and mm -hmm. Martin is, you know, uh, a well-respected person in the, in the little tiki world. So I felt pretty good about that. And then when I finally got my last version of the Mai Tai that I use now and put it on the menu with the Polynesian, um, Sean Muldoon from, uh, uh, Dead, Dead Rabbit. Rabbit, like came in and he's like, Brian, you make the best fucking Mai Tai I've ever had. And I was like, cool. I can walk away now. Like, I'm good. Like, all right, Sean Muldoon respects me. That's Just uh, like that. Yeah, I was like, yeah, you know, sometimes it's, it, it's the little things in life. Yeah, I mean, as time goes on, if different things come around, like, you know, the orange curacao was a part that I definitely played around with a lot and mm -hmm. didn't, like, Cointreau didn't work to me. Um, you know, in the beginning, I didn't like Grand Marnier with it. I was pretty much a, a, a Creole shrub, a Clement Creole mm -hmm. shrub guy. Um, still, that would be my backup. That'd be the first backup that I would go to. Um, I even tried, you know, at Hamilton had done his own, uh, Creole shrub and like, and can it, you tell us how that differs slightly? I mean, I was going to jump into Orja, but yeah. we're, we're in, we're in Curacao they're, territory they're, here, they're, which is great. But all um, of these elements are important. Yeah. Um, um, can you tell us what a Creole shrub is compared to a, a kind of, um, it's, it's, it, it's a, it's a Curacao that is more like rum based. You know, when Ed did it, he used Martinique rum. And so sometimes it became, for me, it was like a little too Martinique rummy. Mm -hmm. um, but it's like it, the orange curacao needs to assert itself, but not be a dominating force in, 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 in the Mai Tai. And so, um, you know, the Creole shrub was there. It added the right element. It blended with the rums and the orgeat, like everything just kind of married together. And then, uh, a good friend of mine, uh, Nate Dumas, who works with uh, Campari now, but Nate was a bartender that I worked with at Pegu Club. Nate like came in and he's like, "I've got this new Grand Marnier. You should try it." Blah blah blah. And it was the the Grand Marnier Louis Alexander, which is fucking delicious. Um, also pretty expensive. Also pretty expensive. But, um, you know, I'm of the, the, the thought that, uh, hey, I'm only using half an ounce, so it's not like I'm using a lot of it. So, yes, I can use a nice, expensive. Uh, and it's in there for a reason. If it's you're in there. Use it. it works. Like, I would not have changed from Creole Shrub to the Louis Alexander if it didn't work. Like, I, you know, my friends know I may like your brand, but if it doesn't work for me, I will honestly tell you that I either fucking hate it or get away from me or I will use it. <laughs> you know, uh, I'm very blunt when it comes to uh, how I feel about certain products. But um, this, but this one, came along. This and came along and I was like, wow, it's, you know, it's 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 like someone that comes into your life and you're like, wow, I didn't expect this. Like, OK, cool. This works. And then um, can I just stop you for a second? Because sure. I think that's a really interesting point here, because that's a very small constituent in this cocktail. And I think some people listening might be surprised to hear that you are going for a very expensive bottle there rather than maybe like, I don't know, spending it elsewhere or just not spending it at all because of you're thinking about your bottom line. I mean, if 
you're going to do it, do it right, right? You know? Uh, I, I think I it mean, was I, uh, Sure who said that? No, who said that? <laughs> <laughs> Baby, take the time, do it right. <laughs> <laughs> what song is that? <laughs> it's an old disco song, I think. Uh, but, like, I, I mean, that's just how I was raised, you know, from Audrey just telling me, like, look, if we're going to put something great across the bar, it, we need to do it the best possible way. And then working uh, with other people that, you know, were like, oh, Brian, do you want Appleton 12 to be your well rum? Sure. You know, uh, so um, I've been very fortunate in that. So I guess that's where the diva aspect of my bartending comes from is like I've just been able to work with some really great people who have given me great products, you know. The disco uh, element. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's um, I've, I've been very fortunate in my career. But, um, awesome, you know, man. So we go from, yeah, we work really hard on the rums, then we do our research on the Curacao, and then we get to the Orgeat, um, which is super important to me. Um, I've been very fortunate enough to be friends and have access to Adam Kolasar, who has uh, Orshot Works uh, out here in Brooklyn. Um, Adam is fucking amazing. Uh, he's not only an amazing human being, but he makes uh, some of the best Orshot I've ever had. I'd put it up there with, I think, Martin Cape's wife, Rebecca, also makes really great Orshot. Uh, Jen Kuliao with uh, Little Hands kitchen i think it is uh she makes some really great orjad as well but adam's literally 20 minutes away from my apartment and good friend so it's easy for me to get access to adam's stuff and adam has really grown uh over the years like when he first started making orjad he was basically the house orjad at death and company that's all we used was adam's stuff um, and was that like his only kind of account at the time getting started out or like not only uh, maybe, but like kind of, yeah. I mean, yeah. He had he wasn't really in, in in a lot of bars at that time, but he was coming to our bar, and like it's grown from there. I mean, Adams worked with uh, Julian Vose, who was at Death Company, now runs, I believe, uh, uh, Dead Rabbit. You know, she's worked with Adam on some things. Uh, Thomas Waugh helped create what is now uh, the high-density Orgeat, which is essentially, like, Adam's toasted Orgeat would be, like, simple syrup, and then Adam's HD toasted Orgeat is, like, cane syrup. So it's a little more dense, um, which is what I use a lot. And then uh, there was macadamia nut Orgeat that he does. He's done his Latitude 29 Orgeat, which he worked with, Beach Bumberry on. He's doing some other projects. Uh, and are you reaching for? Are, are you just going for a classic orja? You know, almond based. Are you? You know, what's what's your preference? Here? I was going with just the HD. I had used that for a while, and then when I came up with this last blend, uh, when I was at the Polynesian and I needed to put the the mai tai on the menu, I was like, let me go back and revisit, and that's where I changed. Um, some of the rums, you know, I went with Hampton mm -hmm. and I went with the Plantation 2005 and then I went with the Louis Alexander and the Curacao and then with the Orgeat, I was like... If you're fuck. changing everything else, like, man. fuck it, let's drive this thing off the cliff, you know, as Audrey used to teach <laughs> us at Pagan Club. Um, I was like, okay, so now I do a blend of Orgeat 
Um, so I blend the HD, I blend the macadamia nut, and I blend the latitude twenty nine. Mm-hmm. Put them all together. I'm not going to give you my. I'm not going to. I'm not going to ask for it. Not going to go quite into that much detail here. The portions of it, but I blend those three together, um, and I think it's really fucking good. And I call <laughs> it Adam's greatest mix. Um, nice. Um, can know. I ask you something too here? Because I think some folks listening might be wondering this is an ingredient that you could make yourself. And I find it interesting that you're, you're, you're buying it in as well, not in any kind of judgmental way. Just want to hear that. Like, is that a case where we're talking, if someone can do it better and probably cheaper than you can do it at the same time? I, I, I tell a lot of the people, a lot of the bartenders I train, I was like, look, why buy something when I can make it? I can't beat Adam. So Adam showed me how to make his or shot and I wrote it down and be honest, I'm still probably confused if I went back and looked at the recipe, if I could actually make it. Um, and I think like or shot is something that uh, a lot of people think they know how to make it. Well, uh, that's not true. I'm sorry, but most of the people that are making or shot at home, it tastes like marzipan. It tastes like, <laughs> uh, you know, amaretto. Um, and also these days as well, something we're talking about off air beforehand, having a conversation, which is labor and time. These are things we need to think about more than ever in the bar industry right now. Yeah. I mean, if people are not going to fucking squeeze their own juice because it takes too much time, but you're going to make your own orjat, get the fuck out of here. Like, orjat is a labor intensive uh, process. Makes me think like the bread in a restaurant. Some restaurants make amazing bread. Most don't. Most yeah. don't have the time or the or the skilled labor to do so. Yeah, and I mean, bread is it. You know, it's kind of like cocktails. It's like, dude, just keep it simple, make it fucking amazing, and there you go. You don't have to do anything really crazy. I mean, I do love myself some lard bread, but you know, that's a whole <laughs> other, that's a whole other thing. And final element of the cocktail here, lime. How how deep do you want to go on that? Do you want to go deep on that, or do you? I don't think how I do you really feel need about to go it? Deep, like it's squeeze it fresh. Um, you know, they to order before the beginning of each shift, I'd, case dependent. Yeah, I, look, I, 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 you can't squeeze it to order. Get, you know, get fucking real and wake up. Um, I, I, I think you got to squeeze it. You know, there, there are many different thoughts on lime juice. Um, you know, people have various opinions about it. Some people will say that it actually tastes better the longer it sits, you know, like it's at its peak, maybe several hours after you squeeze it. Um, like I was saying earlier, it's like, I don't have fucking time for that shit. You know, you're opening a bar. It's like, dude, squeeze the lime juice, put it in the well. Um, you know, just using fresh squeezed lime juice, I think is, is a victory in and of itself. Like you um, said before, buy your orja in so that you can squeeze your fresh line. Yeah, yeah, you, you know, pick and choose your battles. It's not a hill I want to die on. I don't want to die on the hill of trying to create my own orja. Like that would just take way too much time, and honestly, I would never do it. I could never do it as good as Adam does. Um, but lime juice is like, dude, just squeeze it and then uh, you know save the lime shells. Um, I like, I you know, I think originally there so was. So you're you're save you're saving your lime shells. Yeah. Yeah. I save, I, I, I usually tell uh, the bar back or the prep guy or whoever's juicing, I was like, always just save me a quart container or two, uh, you know, depending on how busy things are, of, of lime shells. Like, I like, 
I used to, it was part also another part of the process with the Mai Tai, like I was squeezing the shell in and dropping it in and then shaking with it. And then... So that's what you're saving them for, to, to put them in the tin when yeah. you're shaking? Mm-hmm. Okay. And then, um, uh, then we did some taste tests. I worked with some of my bartenders, uh, Ray Sackover in particular. We played around with the Mai Tai at the Polynesian, and he was like, I think it's better if we just drop the shell in and don't, and don't pinch it. And I was like, okay, cool. He was absolutely right, and that works. And I also tend to do that with my daiquiris as well. It's like I put a lime shell in there as well. And so would that be a regal shake uh, then? Where we're fucking going with this. I, yeah, uh, I've, uh, I've seen, I, I should, you know, say that. To quote Dale, I have no fucking idea what that is. <laughs> we, could, we, should, we should provide some context here, but I'd ask you before, there, there seems to be certain corners of the internet where you will go where using a spent line in your shaking tin will be described as a regal shake. And then other places saying that, no, it's it's only the peel. And I know that those two things are different, but is this a term that you're aware of or is that, you know, what's what's no, going on with the, the regal shake? The, the, uh, I don't know, you know, Schultze from, you know, Hogan's Heroes. I know nothing. I, I, I don't know anything about the regal shake. I've never heard that term until you mentioned it to me. Um, it... You know, sometimes it's just as simple as, oh, what is that? I was like, I just shake with a lime shell in it. I, I didn't know that it had, like, a name. Um, Does I mean, is that cutting any time down by saying, by putting that on your recipe? I think if I wrote a recipe and said, put a lime shell in and shake it, that would confuse bartenders. If I just said, oh, put all the ingredients in, add ice and regal shake, they'd be like, what the fuck is that? <laughs> and I would be too. Uh, it's, you know, I mean, there does appear to be some confusion. And as I had explained to you beforehand as well, I was um, at a citrus seminar with Dale DeGroff, which I have mentioned on this show before. Uh, apologies for keep plugging that. But Name dropper here. Keith, grab the broom. No. <laughs> <laughs> but Dale... Someone, it was, it was the end of the, it was the end of the talk. It was a Q&A and there was a very young, enthusiastic bartender in the crowd that asked Dale, how do you feel about the Regal Shake? And he turned away from his mic at the time to the person next to him and said, what's the Regal Shake? And then the, and then nobody knew. And then the bartender said this using the lime in the tin. And he was like, well, yeah, we've always done that, but I've never heard this name. So that fascinates me. Yeah, I, I I give Dale credit for not jumping down that kid's throat, um, you know, because <laughs> Dale's a gentleman and a scholar. Uh, but I, I don't know. I mean, it's like anything else in this world. You know, some people know things by a certain name, and other people have no idea what they're talking about. Um, I never heard the regal shake, uh, but if the person that created it is listening, uh, well done. Um his name's Bob Regal. Bob Regal. Bob Regal and the Regal Shake. That sounds like a bartender because he would name it after himself. Um, <laughs> uh, it, it, I don't know. To me, it's just shaking with a lime shell in it. You know? Fine. Or, like I said, you know, disclaimer, or, it might be peel, whatever. But ultimately, long story short, you're, you're saving your spent limes and you're doing that because you have them in the tin. Which brings us into an important next part of the conversation, which is that Maybe not. So this is a this is a drink that you shake, and I'd love to hear how you shake it. But hasn't always classically been seen that way. What's the other preparation that people can do? Well, I'm not positive on this, but uh, you know, 
just based on tiki history and stuff like that. I don't know if it was, uh, you know, done in a Hamilton blender, you know, like one of the soda jockey blenders. Um, not sure if it was done that way. I don't know how it would be considering there pretty much has always been a lime shell in the drink. So, so I don't know how you'd blend it with a lime shell. Yeah, that's not it. coming that, out well. It didn't seem, doesn't seem like it would work. Um, but some folks go down this other route rather than shaking, which is the I blender. mean, it, it, you, you know, uh, look, if you can afford to get a Hamilton blender, yes. Uh, and what, okay. what is a Hamilton blender? Hamilton blender is, a, you know, it has the... Uh, long stick with the blade on the end and you just kind of, you know, it's like something you'd see if you were making milk, you know, yep. go to an old fashioned milk, milkshake place. Um, I think maybe Dante uses them for the Garibaldi. Maybe they may. Yeah. I mean, you know, they definitely, I had them at the Polynesian. There is a time and place for them. Um, mm-hmm. You know, like I said before with Adam, I used uh, going over to his house and making tiki drinks. Um, we did one night where I made a zombie and I shaked it with like four ice cubes like I usually do and then poured on crushed ice. And then he made it with the Hamilton blender. And to be honest, it was better in the Hamilton blender, you know? So that gave me pause and gave me a reason to be like, okay, cool. When I open my own bar, I'm going to have a Hamilton blender. Um, you know, but on the other hand, if you've got that on the drink and you're a tiki bar, how many Mai Tais are you going to serve? And how, how is that? going to affect the service in the night like that's we never tried it with the mai tai so I oh yeah sorry you're talking about the zombie there the sorry zombie, but yeah but like with the mai tai it's you know basically when i do it i throw four cold drop cubes in there i shake it up mm-hmm. uh dump it all into a glass top it top it off with crushed ice and then garnish it um in- including those um cold draft cubes yep including cold draft cubes cold draft cubes and uh the lime shell like, and that, you know, that kind of adds a visual element to it as well, you know, in, in the same vein, maybe perhaps as like a, a Kuiperina, mm-hmm. shake it. Because on, uh, on the other hand, if you are using the blender, you're kind of needing to figure out beforehand or you need to realize, okay, so how much ice am I using there to get your dilution perfect? Exactly. Like that's, that's a whole nother, you know, it's like, oh, great. We're using four rums, one or one curacao and three orgeats and now we have to figure out how much ice we're going to put in the blender and for how long are and we what if your ice it? sucks and you've got all these yeah ingredients? you know it's there there's an element of bartending where sometimes it can get a little too precious and so it's like Would that okay, be the regal cool. shake uh, <laughs> we no can offense, move on from. no offense to john regal but the regal shake is bullshit uh, <laughs> it is it is shaking with a lime shell that's what it is sorry your name doesn't get to be involved in it um and one thing I want to hear here too is, so you're dumping the, the cold draft cubes in there as well. Why is that? Um, I mean, one traditionally it was called for kind of a dump, but the main reason for me is like having those cold draft cubes in there as well. And then you put the crushed ice on top of it. It kind of keeps, if it was just all crushed ice, it might dilute a little bit faster. But having like any time that I kind of do a crushed ice drink, I one or two cold draft cubes in there just to kind of keep it from melting really quick. It's like the same thing of like if you're putting something on crushed ice, the reason why you shake with, you know, for how, you know, small amount of cubes is just to get the alcohol cold. So when it hits the crushed ice, it doesn't immediately melt. Oh, man, you're talking my language now, too, because I, I, I got to make a confession here to you, which is that I often steer clear of drinks with crushed ice just because I worry about that. Call me a lush or something here. I don't know. But like I worry about 
this incredible cocktail that I've just ordered within three sips being water. And I'm like, what happened to the rest of my drink? I think that depends on the bartender and the establishment that you are in. I, I, I can't speak for, you know, all establishments, but I would say a no. good, good chunk of the classic cocktail bars here in New York City, uh, those bartenders know what they're doing. And, and if they don't, the person that's in charge will let them know immediately. Uh, and that's a great visual cue then for me. If I can see that in the glass, if I see four cold draft or whatever, if I, or if I'm seeing that, that dump happening, cause I'm usually there watching them make it no pressure, but um, that's a good visual cue that, okay, this thing's going to maintain it's, it's kind of concentration for a while. And not I mean, get you water. have to let a bartender be a bartender. I mean, I know we all like to sit there in judgment and like watch, you know, you sit there and you watch a bartender make a drink and sometimes you know that could throw certain bartenders off other ones are just like i've been through this a million times i'm just making this drink and, muscle know, memory i've 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 been i've been the bartender at death and company when you know the couple comes in and there's the guy and he thinks he knows everything and the woman who's on the date is sitting there and you know, he's basically Howard co-selling me, like, do you see how he stirs the drink right to left and blah, 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 and, like, does all this <laughs> stuff and, and, and you know, and, and talks while I'm making the drink. And so, you know, stop. People sit there and they watch bartenders, but it's like you let them make the drink. When you get it, you might be surprised. They may not make it the way that you think it's supposed to be made or how you read it or saw it on a fucking blog or whatever. But it's like, be judge the cocktail once it's in front of you. Don't worry about the process in which it's created. That's the bartender's job. And they probably have reasons for doing the things that they do. There are plenty of times where I have watched bartenders of my own at the Polynesian make my drink better than I did. Um, just based on the way that they shook it or uh, how quickly they blended it or whatnot. It's like, just relax. It's a fucking bar. <laughs> taste, taste, taste the drink. If you have a problem with it, then you can say something later, but at least taste it. You know, it's like people who put salt on food before they even oh, taste it. Oh, man. It's like, dude, just taste or the, the drink. Or the pepper mill. The yeah. four-foot-long pepper mill that we have these <laughs> days on the steak. <laughs> how that survived from the 80s, I have no idea. <laughs> And I should state for but the record here, when I, when I am watching my bartender make the drink, usually it's out the side of my eye, and I'm not putting on that pressure, but just more than anything, just to appreciate what's happening yeah, than, than, no, the, than the commentary. I, I, dude, I've stolen um, aspects of my own bartending style from watching other bartenders and how they shake and how they stir cocktails. Absolutely. Like, yeah, I'm a pirate. I'm a fucking thief. Yeah, I, I steal. I, 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 steal <laughs> I, I, I steal from other people, but you know, I also give them credit. You know, it's like, oh, how'd you learn how to shake like that? Uh, I was really high in Tokyo one night, and I saw this guy, and I thought his shake was amazing, and that's and that's where it came from. You know. And final aspect of this drink: anything important we should know about glassware and or garnish? We know that we're dumping it in there. Yeah, you can dump it in there. and I mean, usually it's like a double old-fashioned glass, you know. There are clear glass ones, you know, that have people do cool designs and stuff like that, you know. Uh, on the glass, it can go in like a little ceramic coconut, but it should be like a short, you know, double old-fashioned style glass or coconut or something like that. And, uh, you know, and then you know, the old rule in Tiki is, you know, once you think you've garnished it, you should garnish it some more. I just think traditionally... It's got to have mint sprigs in it. At the very least, it's got to have that. And I, you know, 
throw in uh, an orchid. You know, Audrey used to always say, it was like, everybody loves flowers. Just put a flower in it. You know, it's not just for the women. It's like everybody loves it, you know. And, and then, you know, if the people really enjoy the drink, you'll find that orchid in their hair somewhere, guys or girls. You know, guys Amazing. Or women, men or women. <laughs> um, and then, you know, you can play with toys, you know, put like a cool swizzle stick in it or something like that. I'm a big fan of throwing cool little toys in there, whether it's a pirate or a cool little skull swizzle stick something like that like it should be fun i mean that's what tiki and tropical drinks are they're fun Mm -hmm. they don't take themselves seriously awesome and um of course besides your kind of um orja ratio we Mm -hmm. are going to um post your recipe for the mai tai with your permission (laughs) in the description for the podcast and it's going to be available online to, to to read with like i said with the proviso of not using your 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 ratio there because some things you need to I get a nickel for every time someone uses that recipe right <laughs> what do you think this is spotify <laughs> no i think i think that's the going rate at the moment no <laughs> absolutely no, happy to share that with you guys thank you so good, much good good drinks are meant for everybody it's not an exclusive club I want people to drink better. And any final thoughts about the Mai Tai? If not only so that the next time I start chatting with someone about it, I don't bring in my terrible Applebee's joke. Well, no, that's, I mean, that, that that's a good, cute little joke. It might get you a smirk or, you know, <laughs> maybe a girl will be like, oh, he's so stupid, but I think he's cute. Um, <laughs> I don't, I, I, uh, man, a Mai Tai... It is it is rum, lime, and sugar, and you know with with the orgeat and the orange curacao um, thrown in. It's a very simple drink. Um, you know you can definitely play with it, like with all tiki drinks. Um, you know, split the rum base. Hell, you could even split the curacao if you wanted to, and split the orgeat, and you know really have fun with it. But like once play you th- w- w- once you throw pineapple juice in it, or grenadine, or Bacardi 151 or passion fruit or something like that, it ceases to be a Mai Tai. Just call it what it fucking is. Like, it, a Mai Tai is. It is rum, lime, orgeat, orange curacao. That's kind of it. If you throw pineapple in it, it's not a Mai Tai. It could be delicious. Just call it something else. Well, Brian, it's been amazing exploring this cocktail with you today. Um, Hopefully people have learned something. I'm sure they've learned a lot. Um <laughs> Beyond that, just want to learn a little bit more about yourself, as we always do at the end, finishing with some quick fire questions. <laughs> okay. Sure. So, fire away. Amazing. Question number one. What's the first bottle, whether it's a brand or general category, that's going to make it onto one of your bar programs? Rum. <laughs> I feel like that was, if you said gin, I was going to call this whole thing off. Actually, I was thinking vanilla vodka, but. Rum. That's <laughs> glad to hear it. Which ingredient or tool is the most undervalued in a bartender's arsenal? <sighs> Shit. Uh, undervalued tool. Uh, undervalued or underused or both or undervalued kind of people don't realize that actually this thing is important and yeah, or maybe underused. To be honest, a jigger is, I mean, it's its the first building block of a cocktail. Um, and, and sometimes you get jiggers that just aren't accurate. <laughs> so you've really got to, you, you really have to pay attention. 
Third question. What's the most important piece of advice you've received in the industry? Be humble and work in service. And I got that from uh, Ben Doherty, who is uh, the owner and sometimes bartender at Zigzag Cafe in Seattle. It's definitely one of my favorite bars. Um, the word mentor is thrown around way too easily, much like literally and love. Uh, but I would say Ben is kind of a mentor of mine. Ben, ben taught me not only a lot about bartending, but about uh, the business side as well. Um, and if you are in Seattle and have never been to Zigzag Cafe, you're a fucking moron. You <laughs> go down to that bar immediately. It's one of the best bars in the world, I think. And Ben was just uh, super helpful to me in the beginning of my career. Mm-hmm. Yeah, wonderful advice there. And also, if you're going to say literally, most of the times what you mean is figuratively. Sounds very similar, just do that. Very easy. Like, I am literally drinking wine right now. <laughs> that would be the correct use of the word literally. A hundred percent. Question number four. If you could only visit one bar in the rest of your life, which one would it be? Is this a bar that's... be any bar, any past bar. or present. Oh, well, shit. Uh Don the Beachcomber, McCadden Place, that'd probably be it. But, you know, if it was a bar today, it'd be zigzag. Awesome. Final question for you, Brian. <laughs> dum dum dum. If you knew that the next cocktail that you drank was going to be the last of your life. Zombie. 1934 zombie. And I'd would you make it? Or would you have someone make that for you? Ooh, shit. Well, fuck. I'd have Don make it, man. If I could have anybody make me a drink, yeah, I'd have Don make me a 34 zombie. Just hanging out there on death row with you. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know. We haven't set up the parameters for this, by the way, if it is death row or not. But I I don't know if it's death row. I'm pretty sure I'm going to hell when I die. So Don's going to be in heaven. So if there's a way that, you know, God would be like, hey, Brian, we'll just, you know, before we send you to hell, why don't you come up here for a drink? That'd be great. I'd be like, hey, thanks, almighty. And, you know, I'd ask to hang out with Don and uh, hopefully get to see some old friends. Love to have a zombie with like Don and Sasha Petrosky and like Rob Cooper, mm-hmm. and cocktail industry people. My grandmother, my grandmother was drinking a zombie. I, I, that'd be really cool too. Love to. That sounds like a great, you know, the the dinner party. Cary Grant too. Cary Grant, yeah. <laughs> Throw Cary Grant in there. We're all drinking zombies. We should probably be drinking them in hell because it'd be more refreshing down there. Um, but you know. Yeah, if I could have if I could have a drink, I mean, always people have asked me, "Is like, what's my desert island drink?" And I was like, "1934 Zombie." Why? And I was like, "Because by the time I got done with it, I'd forget that I was on a desert <laughs> island." Um, you know, forget what my fate is. But uh, yeah, I mean, I love I love the zombie. That's one of my favorite drinks. And God bless you, Beach Bumberry, for giving us that recipe. Awesome. Well. Thank you, Brian. It has literally <laughs> been amazing having this conversation with you. Let's go grab a Mai Tai. Absolutely, man. Yeah. The, world, the world needs a Mai Tai, and the world needs tropical and tiki drinks. It's 
fun. Okay, that was a lot of info, but here's the good news. Every single episode of VinePair's Cocktail College is also published on vinepair.com as a transcript, so you can check it out there all over again. Also, if you enjoy listening to the show anywhere near as much as we enjoy making it, go ahead and hit subscribe, and please leave a rating or review wherever you get your podcasts, whether that's Apple, Spotify, or Stitcher, and please tell your friends. Now for the credits. Cocktail College is recorded and produced in New York City by myself and Keith Beavers, VinePair's tastings director and all-round podcast guru. Of course, I want to give a huge shout out to everyone on the VinePair team. Too many awesome people to mention. They know who they are. But I want to give some credit here to Danielle Grinberg, art director at VinePair, for designing the awesome show logo. And listen to that music. That's a Darby Seaside original. Finally, thank you, listener, for making it this far and for giving this whole thing a purpose. Until next time. <laughs>